Welcome to another episode of the Dads on the Fly podcast, a podcast all about inspiring and encouraging dads and anglers as we wade through fishing, parenting, and faith on the fly. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of the Dads on the Fly podcast. I am Caleb Simmons, and we'll be joined here in just a little while by my brother Joshua Simmons and a very, very special guest. When we started doing this podcast, I never thought we would get the opportunity to interview a guest of this magnitude. Today, we're going to be talking to Mr. David Coggins, a New York Times bestselling author and the author of my favorite fly fishing book, The Optimus, A Case for the Fly Fishing Life. So we cannot wait for you to hear that interview here in just a few moments. But before we get into that, we want to let you know about a few things, uh, Dads on the Fly related. We are continuing to appreciate all of the amazing reviews and messages from you all on Instagram and all the reviews that we're getting where you review this podcast on Apple Podcast or where else. And so we just want to say thank you. And if you're new to the podcast, we especially want to welcome you. We are so glad you are taking the time to check out today's episode and today's interview. We're loving to continue to do this and just want to give a big shout out to everyone that continues to rate and share the podcast. And we ask if you find this information useful, if you find today's episode entertaining, please leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcast. One thing we want to tell you all about, especially all of our local dads on the fly listening to this episode, we are really excited to partner with the Pigeon Ritter Pigeon River Outfitters here in Haywood County to do a river cleanup this coming Friday, or excuse me, this coming Saturday, May the 14th. This Saturday, May the 14th, we are going to partner with Pigeon River Outfitters here in Canton, North Carolina to do a river cleanup along our amazing Pigeon River. And so what that's going to be is we're going to be meeting Saturday morning at 9 a.m. at Bearwaters Brewing in Canton, and we are going to do a little cleanup on the sides of the river, and we would love for you to come out and join us. You can just meet there at Bearwaters on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and this is just a great way to take care of these beloved fisheries that we care about so much. So thanks for anyone that comes out and does that with us. We love to do that and are excited to be able to give back a little bit to the fly fishing world by participating in that clean up. All right. Well, we're going to dive into today's interview. And again, so excited to be able to do this. You might even hear the the giddiness in my voice as we got the opportunity to talk to Mr. Coggins about his amazing book and about his fly fishing journey. And so without further ado, let's jump into today's episode and today's interview with New York Times bestselling author, Mr. David Coggins. Well, everyone, we are just so thrilled to be able to sit down and have the, this conversation with Mr. David Coggins, uh, the author of probably one of my favorite books ever, and definitely my favorite book that I got the opportunity to read last year. David is the author of The Optimist, A Case for the Fly Fishing Life. Uh, he's also written other books, including Men and Manners and the New York Times bestseller, Men and Style. He writes The Contender, which is a newsletter about style, travel, and design, and other topics, and he also writes a column on fly fishing for the Rob Report and about tailoring, drinking, and travel for many other publications as well. So, Mr. Coggins, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Hey, lads. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the uh, the very good introduction. My mom will, will like that. <laughs> uh, she, she, I, guess, I guess she's sending you ahead my, uh, my advance, my advance uh, copy. She, she's been sending us some emails on the side. <laughs> well, it is funny because she, I, I record a podcast too. And she, and I realize now, I don't know if you guys have this in your family, but I don't have to talk to her on the phone as much because she listens to the podcast when it comes out, like very earnestly. And uh, when I started my newsletter, she also thought that I was just sending it directly to her email. She didn't know that it went out to other people. <laughs> and she was responding very, very directly to me as if it was a personal, I, I didn't even want to ex- explain everything anyhow it's great to be here great to talk yeah, to you we uh we actually are blessed to have um our mom living uh just about 10 minutes down the road she just moved last year and uh when we started the pod we we all we always joke on our episodes that we started it and if she was the only one that ever listened that would have been fine <laughs> well, yeah absolutely us, so. and we just kept doing it so it keeps your mouth clean right you know yeah, so there you go. <laughs> um, caleb mentioned that it was you know one of his favorite books i will i'll have to admit 
we'll, we'll go ahead and get this out there. And everybody that listens to us regularly knows Caleb is much more the avid reader than I am. <laughs> so the fact that I read your book in two days is mm. a pretty big statement for me because I am an educator. I teach a uh, eighth grade social studies, but I don't uh, read a lot for pleasure. Plus I'm in grad. I'm just finishing grad school. So that's mm. a whole nother thing. But Caleb handed me this book and, and, and we talked about this. It. Like it's, if you know my personality, it's like a perfect, I don't know. Yeah, it's it a perfect meld. So so I'll me. tell you a little bit about our story of how I came across a book. I was actually on vacation down in Florida, just rummaging through a bookstore. And all of a sudden, I see this book with a picture of a trout on the front cover. And I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. We've been fly fishing for a while. And I was like, I've got to check this out. And I read your introduction and, and immediately was just uh, was sold out for the book. I think I read it in the four or five days we still had there at the <laughs> beach. Um, Excellent because uh i mean i'll just go ahead and tell you the very first the very first line of the introduction describes my brother to to a t um when it says i can't drive over a bridge without looking down at the river and wondering whether or not trout live there that is <laughs> that is joshua because every time we go riding together i have to make sure we stay on the road whenever we cross a bridge <laughs> so, <laughs> caleb drives to the river for that reason for that reason right. well the funny thing about uh, obsession and ri- and writing something is for some people it seems totally crazy and they'll never understand it and they already are just like okay fishing it's all the same or obsessiveness it's all it, they can't tell one thing from the other and then of course other people know exactly what it means like this hatch or that thing or they're looking for the for the for where the trout might be or or oh that that kind of looks fishy or that looks like a, a pull-off and we could probably get down there and for the people who know like you know they really know which is always satisfying to know that you're not alone with how obsessed and, and insane you are when it comes to these things Definitely not alone from uh, our perspective. So we we fell in love with all the stories and all of the uh, the obsession um, that you have with the outdoors. I mean, yeah, we I, I know I connected greatly with that as I read the book. Well, what I think also connected with us in the pod, and we you know we had done an episode. We'd have to look back which episode that was where we review where we reviewed the book um, just for our listeners and what I we remember liked about the book. <laughs> and um, what we loved about it was our podcast. We we focus a lot on us being like weekend warrior fly fishermen. We're not professionals. We, that's what we, you know, say about ourselves. And it was cool in the book, the amount of times that I felt like, yeah, that could be me. <laughs> like, <laughs> when you, you, know, you know, like you don't make that perfect cast. And I've heard you speak about that before, like in how sometimes it can be intimidating and, and you do such a great job of just like helping us see, Hey, we can all do this. Well, thanks. I mean, part of fishing is is setting, as you guys know, is setting yourself up for, uh, well, failure, to be honest, because there's so many bad things that can happen. And, and when something good happens, it's really the minority of the minority, the minority of the cast and the conditions all have to align. And I think if we don't acknowledge that, I, we're kind of uh, being dishonest. I mean, now all these hero shots and photos of the trout and these videos, I'm like, well, how long does it take to to get those shots? And it should take a long time. It's all right to, to struggle. And then it, it makes, it kind of brings symmetry to the sport. The fact that it's difficult or you learn something or you know how hard it is. And then when it finally works out, it, it makes it all, all the more satisfying. Yeah, I mean, you you talked about that. I think it was in the chapter on uh, I want to say it's the Montana chapter in the book mm. where you talked about um failure and uh, yeah. <laughs> the, what failure teaches us. And 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 I just want to reiterate with Joshua the way you approach the topic of fly fishing with such humility. I think is what really um just spoke to me a lot through the book because I, there is a lot of great fishing books and stuff out there. But a lot of them are from the approach of, hey, here's the expert teaching you this is mm-hmm. what you should do. The way you were able to just approach it with such humility of, hey, here's my stories. Here's my adventures. Here's my fortunes and a lot of my misfortunes as <laughs> yeah. well. And, and the way that you approach that. And, and you said something in the Montana chapter. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm sitting here talking to you with the book right here beside me because it's full of my highlights and markups but uh you you said this and i love this you said the important things are learned through failure or at least through experience if they didn't have to be learned they wouldn't be worth knowing and finding Mm. a fish is one of those things i love that because that just spoke so much to me as i read that i was like holy cow this is this is this is part of the reason why i think i fish yeah well uh, thanks i appreciate that i mean it's so funny when you're fly fishing is that you you 
you don't realize what you don't know until you confront the next thing you don't know. And so then you, you think you've got the cast down and then you, you actually get efficient. You got to set it the right way or it's a slow take. So it's a slow set, or then it kind of runs out and you're on light tackle and you got to fight it correctly. And then you're like, okay, finally, like you've done all right with trout. And then you're like, well, I'll try to go catch a bonefish. And they're like, well, here's a whole other, and you're like, no, I know my way around. And then there's, but it turns out there's a whole other you know, world of things you've never done. And then that's why like people typically try to make a trout set uh, on a, instead of a strip set with the first time they catch a bonefish and they lose it. And it's totally embarrassing. And there's a whole, it, it never ends, you know, then you try to go salmon fishing or whatever else it is. I tried, I was casting to a permit not too long ago and that was a complete disaster. And I was like, stay calm, just be really cool about it. And then I cast, like, it wasn't even like the fish wouldn't have, I could have thrown a cannonball. It would not have got any closer to this permit than my cast, but I'll need just trying to be really relaxed about it. it. You know, I'm still learning. But you know, what's interesting I thought was, and you do it in such a way, um, you know, you're such an accomplished um, writer and uh, mm, I'll do respect for that. That's Thank really, you. You know, I, you're probably the, by far the most accomplished author I've ever had the yeah, I've ever had privilege, privilege of speaking with. Yeah. And when you read The Optimist, it doesn't come across as someone that has all the accomplishments. Did you intend it that way? Well, um, thanks. It's a, it's a nice thing to say, a nice thing to hear. Um, uh, you know, it, it's hard to write about fishing because what you alluded to before, that so many people have done it. There's a great history of the literature, but then all of these true experts who are talking to you about double nymph rigs and how to fish in high muddy water and how to Euro nymph. And you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to try to do that. And I wouldn't even be useful if I did do it. Um, And I think what I, when I started writing for Rob, the Rob report, that was for kind of a casual audience. And it was really to say, you know, fishing. And I think you guys agree with me. It's not just about the tactical part of it. It's about the whole day and the whole experience. And, and when you travel and you go somewhere, and if you go to the Smoky Mountains, like, you know, where do you stop to get breakfast and what kind of beer do you drink and what, who are you with and what's the fishing like and all of those things together. So I, I always tried to include the, the, I don't know, not the lifestyle sounds too cliched, but all the wonderful parts of it. And, and those expanded as I went to Patagonia, or if you go to Montana or you go to the Bahamas. And so I tried to bring all of that in, including my shortcomings and what I learned, because I think people who like to fish typically like to learn. And we're always, you know, we're learning about new hatches and new tactics and new things. And so to, to, to try to be honest about those things, um, both the, you know, triumphs, which are real. And when it happens, uh, that that's a great thing, especially because you appreciate what goes into it. When you catch a fish the way you want to, after struggling to do it, that has meaning. And I think it's good for that to have meaning. And also it's because it's on the kind of piggybacking on all the struggles we've had. So I tried to be honest about those things and, and embrace it and, and, not, and not try to act like I'm more of an expert than I am. I'm just a enthusiast and I love to be on the water as often as I can be and try to kind of alter my life so I could be on the water more. And I, and I also tried to make a case for letting something into your life that matters to you. That doesn't even have to be fishing. It could be sailing or cooking or ceramics or whatever. And it, you know, we're so busy and we're working and we're, I guess maybe this has changed slightly because of the pandemic and people were isolated more and kind of revisited what their values were and how they wanted to live their life. But I've always tried to, uh, I like it when people make space for something that matters to them. And I think it's good to have something that you care about and that you can come back to and hopefully improve upon. And that, you know, affects your life in a good way. Yeah. That spoke to the other thing that really resonated with me through the book and through as I've, and after the book, you know, we started following Mr. Coggins on Instagram, following <laughs> on Twitter and, and oh, you know, yeah. it's like, it's an experience. Like mm. we, and, and we talk, we've had to kind of evolve as fly fishermen. When you started out, you know, it's, Hey, can we go catch 30 fish today? Or can we, and now <laughs> yeah. it's, now it's the experience. Like, Hey, yeah, we're, now, now it starts when we wake up in the morning. Like, <laughs> right. and we know we're going fishing that day. Right. Um, it, it's all about, and, and you know, we're, we're young dads with young kids. And mm. so part of that experience for us is like making sure things are good at home before we get out the door. Sure. <laughs> so, uh, and then, you know, but once you get out that door, 
the beauty of just, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to live here, um, you know, right in the Great Smoky Mountains. And it's just, you know, that, that trip to the river. Um, sometimes that stuff is just as meaningful and magical as when you, when you, you know, set the hook on a, on a beautiful wild, uh, sure. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, and for me, it's the comp you speak about this and I wanted to, um, let you have a moment to talk about your mentors in fly fishing, the guys that got you started, the the gentlemen, because yeah. I fish with a lot of, I started fishing with a lot of older experienced gentlemen and I still love to do that. Like there are days mm. I will call two men who are in there, you know, I don't, don't want to age them because they'll listen to the pod, <laughs> but, but they, they are experienced and they, yeah, sure. and they, I don't know if it's, they're surprised I call them to take, to, for us to go fish together, but on those car rides, man, I just soak in that knowledge from yeah. all the things that I can learn from them. And so I wanted you to have a moment to speak about those two gentlemen that, that got you started in, in Wisconsin fishing those small mouth on the canoes. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm from Minnesota, but I, my family has a cabin in Wisconsin where I've gone every summer for my life, my whole life and a very special place. And there are two, two old, old timers there, um, who are friends of my grandfather, uh, Carter and Dave, and they were truly great anglers. They are, they're now in the fly fishing stream in the sky. They've moved on to a better place. Um, but, uh, they, they were, you know, and they grew up at a time when you could kind of fish more, it was easier to do that, or at least the way the world worked. Then um, they spent a lot of time on the water and I was kind of intimidated to go out with them at first. They were friends of my grandpa's. I didn't, did I really want to hang out with these old guys? And what a mistake that was because I, I lost about five or eight years, probably five years, let's say of really good education, just because I was an idiot. I was 15 or 18 and I just didn't want to screw around with these guys. Finally, I got, I got my act together and started going out with them. And they, they had, um, even though our cabin was on a lake, uh, the better fishing was about an hour away, a little more. And we took canoes for smallmouth bass, which for people who haven't done it, uh, fly fishing for a smallmouth is absolutely great sport. I completely recommend it. You guys know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know, but it's still one of the great things to do. And where we went, a lot of people didn't really go into that area because, you know, these guys had big bass boats, but we used a canoe and it was a little more complicated to get in. So we had the water to ourselves. But I think what I realized over time was that, you know, being with these guys, um, I mean, at first, I think they just wanted someone to, to go with them, honestly. And they were kind of old son of a guns who maybe their kids didn't want to go with them. I'm sure, you know, people like that. Sometimes people like fishing so much, it, it doesn't quite pass on to their kids for whatever reason. And, and there are many reasons for that. And I think I, I, I realized over time, like how much they taught me kind of without teaching me, they weren't very demonstrative. They didn't tell me what to do. They might make a suggestion and over, you know, you realize how much knowledge they shared. And as I get older and as you guys who are fathers and you get older and you realize like maybe you start to have some of that knowledge and you want to share it, either you write about it or you talk about it on your podcast or one day you teach to your kids. And that I really like that about fishing. I think there's this sense of continuity that happens because it's a, a sport that's hard, that's learned, and that has so much knowledge that then can almost by definition has to be passed on can I say manually, orally to, to someone in person. And I think that's a great part of the sport. And I think that these, if I, if I go to a place and I talk to someone who's fished there a lot, I know he and I have something in common, or if I meet someone who's been to this stream or who fishes in the Smokies, you guys will share experience with them. And I think that's a really nice thing. And I think part of the sport is this sense of continuity that happens and, and you don't always realize how it's going to affect you as you, as you get older. And I think that's, that's a good part. I love it. That's so great. So, so I have to ask you, um, yeah. you know, you, you, what you, you've, you've written about a lot of things. Um, mm. what, what specifically drew you to want to write about fishing? Cause as you said a minute ago, um, you know, you're not, you don't, you don't have the expert advice. You don't have the, uh, which, but by the way, I gotta, I gotta tell you, like the way, the way you talk about how you rig your car up. I mean, that was pretty cool. like, that was I love that. to be pretty expert. Yeah. Advice. I mean, <laughs> talk about like the, the, the flavored water that you have to have on the yeah. river. I mean, no, I love that. Stuff. Yeah. Right. The, uh, the gently flavored water, the Miller yeah. Lite. Well, I, I think, I feel like there's a way 
there's always going to be someone who knows more than you about anything, whether it's about uh, fantasy football or whiskey or fly fishing. And it's like, it's don't be uh, worried about that. Like you have friends who are obsessed with watches or cars. Like we're, we're guys, we're going to know someone who knows like more. And usually often those people don't have as much fun because they're too busy, like calculating the probability of something. And to me, like fishing is great because you can, you can get into it and learn more but i like i'll let someone else tie the flies personally i don't need to i don't know what fly i like and i'll trim it if i don't like it or i'll go to the place but i don't need to spend my winters doing that but you know for the guys who do that's great and i i mean some people like well you don't even tie your own flies well like yeah i can't spend all my time doing this but um i i think it's i think there's something when i i wanted to write about something i cared about and if you and i think Often I like reading about something that other people care about, even if I know nothing about it, if they go to the pond hockey tournament in Northern Minnesota, or if they like to sail and I, I don't sail, but if I, I'm happy to read about that, if they convey what they love about it, I think that's the universal thing The people who like fishing are often going to read about fishing because we care about it. But I, I think what, if you can communicate why you love something, then you can uh, expand uh your, your audience, if you're trying to, but I think as a, a writer, you want to communicate what's at stake. So first of all, your passion toward it. Second of all, kind of, if you're, you know, if you're trying to set the, set the groundwork kind of what, what are you trying to cast to? How can you succeed? How can you fail? Why does it hurt your feelings? If you don't catch the Atlantic salmon, why would you feel great if you did and, and show them what's at stake. And then now, now you're talking, now you got something. So go ahead. Which, so okay, <laughs> which was your? I'm gonna throw that out there. In in all your adventures, what have you? Was your most sort of challenging species of fish? I know you talk about it in the book a little bit, but you know we've had some time since the book came out. So, what has been most challenging for you to seek out? And well, there's a lot. I mean, I I really believe uh, in saltwater fishing and flats fishing, and I think for people who um, are on the fence, cause that's kind of a commitment. If you've, if you've gone bass fishing and trout fishing and you're like, well, am I actually going to the, go to the Bahamas? That seems like a big thing to do. And it is a big thing to do, but I believe in that. And it is hard to see bonefish and it's hard to kind of navigate that at first, but I think it's a really, really great sport. And there's a, there are ways to do it that kind of cost less money. It doesn't have to be at a fancy place. And I like, you know, totally humiliated myself there too. Like I, I couldn't, it's very hard to see the fish, but I was like, oh, I'm going to get ready and I'm going to watch videos and I'm going to stare at photos and I'm going to see the fish. And it's like, it's hard. And it, and there's no kind of way to make it less hard other than to keep doing it. And then you've got to keep going to, you know, Florida or, or the Bahamas or Belize or wherever it is. But I, and I really um, I love that. I, I think I, I like, you know, I live in New York city, which is a very vertical place. Um, and with small spaces and a lot of people and to go to the flats, which is the most horizontal place in the world. Uh, I, I love that feeling. And that's a little bit what we were talking about before, where it's not just about the actual fishing, especially for bone fishing. You're, you're stalking the fish. You're not casting unless you see a fish, there's no blind casting. And so you're in this seascape either on a flats boat or waiting with nothing around and that sense of isolation is really wonderful and then if you contrast that with the actual action casting to a fish and getting one on the line and the incredible run i absolutely love that that that's not the biggest challenge but that's to me like the right kind of balance between between difficulty and then reward beyond that is atlantic salmon which i have like a complicated relationship with because it's like freaking <laughs> impossible to catch these damn things. And I'm like, why does it matter to me so much? I should add, I did finally catch a steelhead last year, which was a beautiful thing. And like the guys who I was with were filming me while I was landing, trying to land and it took forever. And I was like, get that camera out of my face. And then of course, as soon as I landed the fish, I was like, could you please airdrop me that video? I want to look <laughs> at it in great detail. I was like furious at them up until that minute and like pretending to smile as I was, you know, reeling this thing in. And I, you know, I like, I think I have friends who don't want to screw around with salmon or permit or anything that's super hard. And I, I don't mind that. I don't, if I know what I'm getting into, I don't mind not catching fish if there's a chance for one larger fish, but that's also because the more you fish, 
you know, if, if you're out with someone, you want them to catch fish if they don't, if they don't fish a lot. And, and in certain places, I definitely want it to work out. But I, you know, it, it, I think the more you fish, you also appreciate what your surroundings, like what's the correct fish for that place. The same way, if you go to a dive bar, you're going to get a certain type of beer and a certain type of, you know, whatever barbecue sandwich. And if you go to a steakhouse, you're going to get a different type of glass of wine and a different type of thing. And you want, you expect something different, you know? And I think you want to, you know, if you're in the Smoky Mountains and you catch like the right eight inch brook trout, like that is so beautiful. It's so correct for that place and it belongs there. And I think it took me a while to appreciate that. And I, and now I, I like that. I like that feeling of what's true to the place you're in. So you were talking a little bit about, you know, um, why the book and, and why writing about fishing I, I'm just curious because as a as a guy, and I'll just tell you a little bit about me. I am looking to try to get into writing more um, about some of our adventures and our experiences, um, and uh, it's something that I've been been looking at possibly doing for a long time. So, would you be willing to give any insight into kind of your process for developing these stories and kind of what that looks like for you? Um, well. I really believe that more people should write, I should say. And I think that I, I've always encouraged people to write. I think that there's this um, strange uh, idea that if you don't write kind of fancy or let's just say hyper-educated way, it's not worth doing. And then you have people imitating. Remember when you were in high school and you tried to like sound smart? Like, I don't like that. Don't do that. that that's not going to work. It's really bad. It's a terrible thing. And it shouldn't have happened when you were 15. And it should definitely not happen when you're 35 or whatever it is. That would be like and I think trying to... Those trying to write on style, right? <laughs> well, I think so. But what what I always tell people, I mean, for me, it's different. Like I've written my whole life, and I've always cared about very much writing. And grew up in a household where I was encouraged to do that, and and I studied literature my whole life. And so I'm, I, I would say that I try to, you know, it sounds pretentious to say it's like a craft. It is pretentious to say that, but it's more like I'm, I'm very particular about it, and and have done it thousands of hours. So it's easier for me for people who are getting into it. What I say to them is be true to who you are and the way you would tell a story and don't try to imitate fancy writing and don't try to make it seem more important than it is. Make it sound like you. It's surprisingly hard to make something sound like you because the writing process, you're staring at a screen, you're typing things down and that gets people further away from who they are the people we respond to, whether they're writing about food or fishing or anything else, are people who are direct. And I think, you know, you guys have very strong voices. When I heard your podcast, I responded, I like the way you talk. And, and if you can capture that feeling, that emotion, then people will want to read what you're writing about. The, the challenge is how do you kind of capture who you are? I mean, some people record it and, and then transcribe it later, but other people get caught up in, in the writing makes them sound sort of less like who they are. And I think a challenge for me or anybody else is how do you get your voice, for lack of a better word, into, into the writing. And the sooner you get into that place where you're basically sounding like yourself, the better. It's kind of like, do you remember, probably before your time, but like Seinfeld, right? The TV oh, yeah. show, like he's, he's not a good actor, but he, uh, knew, how to, <laughs> but he knew how to play himself. Yeah. And if he had tried to, to be more than that, if he pretended he was a good actor, it would have not worked. But he just was like, I'm just going to be me. And and it worked, you know, and that's all you have to do. You just have to be you. Of course, it's not as easy as it sounds. And plenty of people try to act like themselves or write like themselves can't do it. But I think if you, you know, you do it and you, you see how it, um, you know, comes out. And then, and, and I think we, we're, it, writing often seems so rarefied and it seems so protected and lofty. And I think you kind of, you don't want to get it down in the dirt, but you want to get it down somewhere, you know, down where we live. And I think when it gets into the place where we live, then I think people respond to it. And I think, I think it's a good thing. I would, I would love to read something you wrote. I think that that is, I'll let you finish, but I think that, you know, in a way he kind of just encouraged us he just encouraged me <laughs> to keep doing what we're doing. Cause that's exactly we, what I was podcast, say. we yeah. were not gonna, we did <laughs> We did not listen to another podcast and say we're going to, we said we were going to tell our dad and fishing adventures together as brothers. And 
that's what we're going to do. And I like it. You know, we said if 10 people listened, great. We didn't really care. We just wanted to spend time together. And it's kind of led us to more fishing trips. It's led us to get involved with our children. And it's led us to meet some really awesome people in the fly fishing community as we are tonight. (laughs) And and so that's been a really cool blessing for all of this. And so I think what you said is so true. And, you know, I teach, I teach middle school students and, you know, I also have young children and being true to yourself. I mean, we always like to throw a, a dad tip of the week in our episodes. And I just think more people should do that. Just be true to who you are. Yeah. Um, you were made in a special way for a certain reason and, and be true. And I think that's a great testament to what you just said. Well, and what you're just saying about like our podcasts and stuff, we've, we've, we've discussed this, like about our journey into this and, you know, what do we want it to become? What do we want it to look like? And the more we do it, the more I feel like we're encouraged to just be authentic to who we yeah. are, like be authentic to what we're about. Cause apparently, um, you, you know, one of the things I love about your book, one of the things I love about this, like it, it's just full of stories and everybody's got <laughs> stories to tell. Like everybody's got stuff to tell well, that are, that's worth telling. And so let's be authentic and just be, be okay with telling our stories and, no, they don't have to be, you know, something insane, but they're still, they're still worth telling and worth getting something out of. Absolutely. I got, I got two thoughts about this. One about writing where it's like, if I ever, if people ever want to start writing, I would say like, well, tell me about like your prom or your first car <laughs> or a time you were out all night, you know, something that like, as soon as someone's like, oh yeah, I can tell you. And they like the details, like that tells you so much about them and you got, you want to get them like, don't tell me about, you know, when they would ask you to do some sort of school lesson, I was like, what would you do if you could, I don't know, save the world or you were at the, you yeah. know, like, I don't need that. Just tell me like, tell me about your prom, like that, that will tell me a lot. And, and also like, it's funny and the details are good. And that's what people want as far as like, fishing stories what's funny is like there aren't that many ways for a fishing story to end like they're pretty much the same there's there's like like there's a couple of there's two ways so there's a few there's like you catch the big one you lose the big one or something in between and so one challenge when you're writing a book that has kind of i don't know eight chapters eight different kind of places that i went you, you they couldn't all sort of couldn't be a triumph or failure the same way or they you have to kind of surprise people a little bit or it has you have to fail in a different way or succeed in some way you didn't expect or um and that's that's funny too and uh also why a lot of fishing stories are like i've never seen this before it came from out of the you know <laughs> behind the log like and you're I, I swear to you of course when your friends like or your brother's like i don't know i swear to you and like oh here we go again because like <laughs> <laughs> like and they're like it was 24 inches and you're like i'm pretty sure it wasn't but uh <laughs> um i think but i think that's like part of the beauty of the book too is like like you said fishing stories have a one of a few ways of ending but <laughs> right. you realize you realize you get caught up in the story of all the other stuff i mean yeah right the, the stories of the the eating you know eating dinner in patagonia sure. in patagonia yeah. you know at 11 o'clock at night with yeah the, i mean like that's the stuff that we keep getting drawn back to when it comes to fishing i mean the fishing is just it, it's kind of like the catalyst for all the other great stuff that we get to experience, yeah, um, which is really, really exciting. Recently for us, it's been about community and, uh, and just and our kids getting to meet people yeah. in our, in our sure. and family time. Um, I wanted, I was actually just in kind of getting ready for tonight's discussion. I, I caught you on another podcast talking a while back and, uh, me and Caleb have talked about this. You know, we, we are, we are young fathers, um, not so young anymore, but we're, we're our kids <laughs> are young. And, uh, you know, we don't have the opportunities to, you know, travel across the country all the time. And, but you made a great point in another podcast I was listening to about your home waters and how uh-huh. you love going to just right there at the airport on that boat and, <laughs> yeah. and fishing, man. And it's such a cool story. And, and we've talked a lot about how, where we live, we have so much home water that we can explore within two hours, three hours of us, just tons of streams. And uh, just talk about how important that is for guys who maybe listen to this. You know, you're a guy who's fished all over the world, but you still have a passion for that water right there in your backyard. Yeah. I mean, it's such a great point and a great question. And I think, I mean, yeah, the book's about travel and I'm writing another book and it's about travel, but let's, let's get real here. Home water, another fishing book working on it now. We talk about that later, but, um, home water is where the game is and it's what matters and it's, and it's, it's how you're connected to your life. And I think that I don't want to, for any, like, if you don't, if you're not catching a brown trout in Patagonia, it's not like you're not fishing. That's like, that's not 
reality. Uh, if you're lucky, you can go there and that can be a great experience. But what we're doing is like how we live our life, the same way how we live our life every day, what, what it matters that you're talking about community. And I mean, just where I live in New York City, to take the ferry to see my friend Joel and go out into Jamaica Bay, which is for people who don't know, it's like right where JFK Airport is, you've looked into the bay and the stripers are in there and there's a bunch of boats and you're following the gulls and you're catching them. I mean, that is so much fun. And, or I go to the Catskills, that's kind of my kind of local water two hours away. And, you know, we're talking about the Smoky Mountains. It's like, what's correct for that place and what's true to that place and what do the seasons mean? And what, you know, like now the sort of season begins in New York. I'm about to go up this weekend for the first time. And of course, like the water will be high and muddy and that's sort of the tradition. It sort of is brutal the first weekend, but you don't care and you don't catch anything or you got to like use streamers and it's sort of gnarly, but that's fine. You know, that's how it always is. You're just happy to be there and maybe it snows or whatever it is or you make a fire and like the chimney doesn't work and you got to open the door it's like that's like how it has to be and then it gets a little bit better and knowing the seasons and knowing those places like that's great and and that's ultimately you'll never have a connection the way you do to a place you return to and you you learn about it and that's about this kind of knowledge that you build up over time and then you share it with your sons or the people who shared it with you your whoever kind of taught you or brought you there the first time i mean that that's what we're talking about it. And that's a great thing. And I, I really believe in what's true to the place. And I, especially the more I fish, like it, it doesn't have to be the biggest fish in the craziest place. And sometimes I'm lucky to go to those places, but you want to go, like, you're going to build up meaning by returning to the places over time. And that's true for everything. And you're, it's like, why well, you go to the same restaurant on your birthday or on new year's Eve or, or, you know, and you think back to the other times you were there and that that's great. I mean, you can't beat that. And, and, and when you have a place that you care about to go back there to share it with someone, you don't even really have to talk, you know, you're just, you're there with your brother, you know, and that's like, that's a good thing. I want to mention that I don't, you know, here we have a New York times bestselling author. And uh, <laughs> I do, I would not feel the fact that, you know, he could sometimes start a fire and not go up the chimney too makes me feel like <laughs> he can fish with us. Like it would yeah. be, I wouldn't be intimidated fishing with him. Like it would be. <laughs> No, I, I feel like if you can't, it's funny, I'll tell you this. So I was with a friend, a friend of mine who's a little bit older than me, brought me to the a fishing club in the Catskills. And it was my first time. And this guy's fished his whole life. His father fished, his grandfather fished. Like, I mean, serious stuff. And we got in the Catskills, you know, it's kind of overgrown and it's kind of pretty tight water. And I was, you know, nervous. I wanted to like do it correctly or whatever. And he like, I look back at him and his first cast was in the tree behind him and he didn't care. He just yanked it out. And I was like, oh, so that's how it's going to be. Like, we don't care here, even though like then he made the most beautiful, perfect cast, but he's always catching trees. And it just put me, he, did, he wasn't like embarrassed or anything else. Of course, like his casts are beautiful and he, but he's like, that's part of what it's like. And I, if you don't, if you're not afraid to make a mistake, you're actually probably not pushing yourself as as far as you could or trying to make a more complicated cast or cast into the wind or whatever it is. I mean, those are, I mean, now that's getting a little philosophical, but that's, that's like you, if you're afraid to make mistakes, I don't know about fly fishing. If that's a good, <laughs> if that's a good Caleb, sport. If we're in the, if we're in the Smokies and Caleb doesn't fall at least twice and end up wet from shoulders <laughs> but, down, it's not a successful trip. But, like we're, but, we know things are not going right. Yeah. So. But that too, like before I was like so worried about waiting and certain things are just like, not ever like, giving an opening. And now I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, like I, I usually, if, especially if I'm with a guide, I'm like, I kind of want to make a mistake early on so we can just like get beyond it and, <laughs> because like, it's going to happen. And, and I don't like the idea that it isn't is almost like, that's even more ridiculous than it, whatever mistake you might make. I love it. Um, well, David, as we continue talking, uh, I would just love to talk a little bit more about you know, we've talked a lot about the book, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about your your story. And uh, so, kind of, kind of, two questions. Um, first of all, what was uh, what really got you into fishing? I mean, you've talked about, um, you know, uh, going, you know, fishing those lakes and rivers in Wisconsin um, for smallmouth and with those older guys. But is there something that really got you into first? And then, two, what what got you into writing? Um, because that is something that I think is super cool to hear about people's story when it comes to to getting into things that they're super passionate about. 
Yeah, well, um, good question. I, I, I mean, fishing. I should say, like our cabin in Wisconsin is on a on a beautiful lake, very deep, very clean, like one of the deepest lakes in Wisconsin. And and it was, it felt very natural to fish there. Like, what kid wouldn't want to do that? And and I didn't just fly fish from the time I was six or anything. I would just row, take the rowboat out, and for the there on that lake, it's more largemouth bass. And it wasn't even great fishing, but it was just, I mean, it's just like a natural equation. You got a lake, you got a boat, you got a kid go out there. And, and, and I, I liked the, the solitude and I liked the, um, you know, the kind of scientific approach to it in a way, or not saying just like a progression. Okay. Like try this, try that cast to the lily pads, cast to the bank. Um, and then, and I like, I think that that, that suited my temperament. I, I'm not a person who needs to succeed <laughs> right away. It's like I can, I can fish and not catch something and I'm not, it didn't, didn't deter me. And then as I got older, I knew that kind of fly fishing was something that appealed to me and my temperament. And then I, um, uh, you know, these old guys that taught me, I think I went to, I went to an Orvis kind of clinic for a weekend and it, you know, it was slow going. I, I, I was lucky enough to have some friends who have a house on the Housatonic River, which goes through Western Connecticut and Litchfield County up into Western Massachusetts and the Berkshires. And, and I fished there and I look back on that and it was really wonderful. I waited and it was all wade fishing, but I was doing like the dumbest stuff. Like I, I didn't have enough money to hire a guide or, or it seemed too expensive to hire a guide for like $250, but I could have like... It, accelerated my education like by two years if i just paid a guide for one afternoon but or one day but i that didn't quite happen so it took me about a decade but you know and i like you know everyone's going to have their own you know some people are lucky enough and their father or grandfather teaches them and they know all the things and you know most of us or a lot of us don't have have that um have that good fortune but that's okay everyone's going to find what makes sense for them or how obsessive they're going to be um, and it, but if I didn't have a family who taught me how to fish, I did have a family who taught me how to write. And that was a great, uh, a, a great blessing. And my, my dad, uh, who's an artist and a writer, uh, and my mom, who's, you know, artistic person and an interior designer, I, I grew up in a household that valued the creative arts. And, um, we love to read, we love to write, we love art and theater and all, and the opera and all those things. And so that it wasn't strange for me to, um, to care about those things. And I've told this story before about my dad who kind of denies this, but he's wrong. Uh, like he would edit my school essays and I, I would bring them down to him and I could stay up past my bedtime on those nights that he was editing them. And he was pretty rigorous <laughs> with how, like, I mean, he really for lack, like edited the hell out of these things. And I would have to go back up and make it better and bring it back down. And, and finally he would sign off and I could go to bed, you know, it was at 10, 15 or something at night. It's past my, and, uh, and I think, when I got into college and things, people said, well, you write pretty cleanly and um, elegantly. I didn't know that. And I thought that was normal, but I think it had a lot to do with my dad and, and the way I was taught. And, and I like, I like writing. I like telling stories. I like um, writing about things I care about. Uh, I wrote about art for many years. I write about style, but when I write about style, it's not about fashion. It's about people who make suits and who've done things kind of like someone who would build a bamboo rod. How, how do they do that? I, I like people who've done things for a long time. And I think if you can do that, if you can find the right details and what we were talking about before about kind of communicating your passion for something, I think that's a good thing. You know, as you get older, you, you get more relaxed in a way, the same way you can kind of make a mistake with when you're fishing or slip into the water or cast into the tree. I think when I wrote, I allowed more mistakes. And I think probably when I was younger, I was trying to you know appear more correct i wouldn't admit certain you know human frailties and how it's like yeah I, I i messed up with the fish or i fell in the water or whatever else and i think i think hopefully people can you want to you want to make yourself feel it's a little bit of a delicate balance you want to be kind of an authority but you kind of want to let people in and you want to be accessible but still know enough that they're kind of listening to you it's there's you know there is a bit of an art to it i don't want to act like it's totally easy i wanted to just while you mentioned all this um, yeah, sorry, that's a dead. super long answer. Yeah. No, no, you gave me you gave me a two part question. Great. You we gave are, me a two part question. That's yeah, <laughs> great. We we are dads on the fly, and I just know you had uh, spoke about your dad in that answer, yeah. and I just wanted to give you a minute. Um, 
you know, we talk about fatherhood all the time and how, how we raise our kids and how other people uh, raise their children. And just, you know, we've talked about last week's episode, we talked about just being present with our kids. And I think mm. what you just gave was a great example of your father being present in your life mm. and something you were passionate about. He was present in like editing that and, you know, look what you've gone on to become. And I think I'm, I don't know him personally, or I don't know him at all, but I'm sure he would say he's very proud, uh, very proud of what you've accomplished. And he could say he had a part, a role in that, but just, can you talk a little bit about, um, in whatever you, we would like to just how, how you and your, you know, at your stage in your career, you still obviously have a relationship with your dad and how, how cool that is. And just to be a part of a family, even your mom too, like, you know, yeah. mentioned her in this episode, just how family is important, um, to you, a very successful person, but yet, you know, you're, you're grounded with your family. Well, well, that's a, a really thoughtful question. And, you know, I love it. Dad's on the fly. And I mean, I, I think, I think it's important to, I'm from a close family. We travel a lot when I was young, we, we did all sorts of things. And, and, um, I think, you know, like every, every family, but in, in every family is going to kind of exist in their own way and find the right contours. And I think it's important to share, um, passions. Like I like people who are interested in things and I, I want, and I think, people who are interested in things like that's, that's good. Right. If you care about cooking or all the stuff we've been talking about fishing and, and travel and literature, all, all of that is, is nice. And I think a real gift that parents can give their children is, is caring about the natural world or caring about art. And I think um, I, I was lucky to have that. And I, I think your children are going to be lucky to have that too. And I, yeah, I'm still very close to my parents. They were just here in New York and I, you know, I see them in, I travel with them with my sister and, and, uh, and I'll see them in Wisconsin on the same lake in the summer. They, they, you know, they don't need to hear all the fishing stories. That's like, they kind of tune out there and that's part of it too. You know, like they, they like that. I love fishing, but that doesn't mean they want to hear like what fly caught the trout. They just want to know if I'm happy or it was bad, or we almost got hit by lightning or something, you know, it doesn't mean they're like in a, in a, in a granular way, but I can say that like their support, you know, I, I don't think most parents are like, Oh, I really want my kid to be a writer. Like that's not typically how it goes. Normally they're like, what well, didn't we talk about medical school or something? Um, <laughs> And they're like, no, mom, print, it's not dead. Uh, but in, in, in my case, I, I was very lucky and, and it was always supported by them. I mentioned, you know, a creative household and that it didn't seem strange. And I, 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 I have many, I'm close, all my friends have kids. And I think it's important to, to um, encourage your kids, you know, like show them the things you love, but also realize the things that they love. And that that is a pretty good way to be. And I, and for anyone you care about really. And I mean, there's getting a little philosophical, but I, 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 I feel lucky about that. And, and, and the fact that my dad doesn't like to fish um, is kind of funny to me. Cause I, now as I get older, like I want to take him fishing, which is sort of, you know, the opposite of maybe how it would have been, but like, we kind of know that's not going to happen and that's okay. You know, like maybe he'll, he'll like walk along the bank. I mean, he, and he's a great outdoorsman. He's, he's, he, he hikes a ton and he's lives in Wisconsin all summer and he's outside a lot, but it just like that, that <laughs> the fishing just didn't intersect with him. And it's sort of, you know, sometimes like I'm sure the way, I mean, you get halfway through your life or something and like the parents know definitely about the way their child is and recognize something of them. And then like you get to a point in your life and you sort of recognize, your parent and how they are and it's sort of embarrassing it took so long but finally you're like all right so like he and i aren't going to go fishing but that's all right we're still we're still very close and and he does he, in a long answer to your question like yes he's they're they're both supportive and i mentioned my mom i mean it, it, and it sounds like your mom listens to your podcast i feel like a mother who listens to a podcast like that's a, devo a very devoted mother. <laughs> yeah, like she, you can, she, you can, yeah, she has no interest never in never part of it, really. <laughs> right, and she wants to hear her boys, you know, and that's the thing. Like, so my mom will write these notes or send me texts very specifically about like same what's weird. They're discussing the same with you guys, and that's you know that's great. You can't you can't beat that. Uh, and and honestly, like as you get older, you, sometimes you realize how lucky you were. Uh, and it's embarrassing. It took so long to realize, or, or you knew it in some way, but not in this other way. And, and so, you know, it, your mom's listening to a, your podcast. That's a 
Pretty, pretty good relationship, I would we, say. We would be honored for your mom to listen to this. <laughs> you have to send it to her. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, well, definitely. No, I mean, so, I mean, my mom is so funny. She, she's not on Instagram, but she will log on her, on her computer, on the desktop, onto my Instagram to see what I'm doing, which is like, I'm sure not the way anybody intended it to be done, <laughs> that's <laughs> but great. that's the real, like, very specific um, but yeah, so she gets some of the links. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that has been great. I've got, I've got two other things I want to kind of talk okay. about before we kind of wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to take too much of your time. Um, this has been so, so good, but, uh, probably one of my favorite things about the book and about your stories in general that you write about, um, is the way you're able to kind of mine these stories to get the bigger picture behind them. Like, you know, <laughs> you find these principles, like when you, when you go to, um, I think it's your trip to England and you talk about, you know, like fishing with stealth and, um, you, uh, you know, go to, um, all these other places and you have these principles that you kind of find what's kind of your, your process behind doing that. Do you, do you keep a journal about all your fly fishing stories? Do you just write it all down? And, um, Cause that's something like I, I, I'm asking this because that's something I'm kind of getting into. You know, we, I was blessed this year. My mom for Christmas gave me a fly fishing journal, like a fishing mm. journal to like track, like, you know, yeah. what's the weather like, what's the moon phase, what's all this like. And, and I've come to, I've come to start writing more of the stuff that's not super technical, but more of mm -hmm. like the stuff that, that took place on the way to the trip, like on the way to the river totally. and, or, or like that happened while I was there, you know, seeing the bald eagle fly over, you know, it, it, tracking some of that stuff as much as I track the fish. So I'm just curious to know what that's like for you. Yeah. Well, that's a great, I, so I, at our cabin in Wisconsin, we have this big, uh, field stone grill, huge grill where we cook like large format, like brisket or lamb shoulder or something. And I basically the way it works, I do two or three a year, but I can never really remember what I did the year before, even though like it was the main thing I did. And then my sister sort of makes fun of me. So I, I got this notebook and I was like, I'm going to put the grill diary on the back and the fishing diary on the front. And what I realized is, you know, what I write for both is like who I'm with, what the day's like, how the fishing was, but then something like you're never going to remember ever because the more you do something, it just blends together, you know, oh, it was the first day it snowed or it was the first day of this hatch or like we'd never seen the water that high before. Like those things are really useful just, I mean, as a, on a technical level for fishing or for that matter, grilling where you're like, it said 450 degrees or whatever, we did four hours, but it actually was longer than what the recipe said. And I mean, so you can, you can look at it both like as a technical way to improve your knowledge and then as a sort of emotional way to remember things that are just very hard to keep track of. And if, and I think that it's very useful for anybody, whether you're writing or not to keep a very casual diary and don't, don't go crazy. You don't have to like fill in pages and talk about it. Just be like, just say what time you went on the water, who you were with, what you were fishing with, what flies you used, was it good or bad? What was, what surprised you? I mean, the surprise will ultimately be the, the interesting thing because that's the outlier. And when you go back and look at something like, Oh, right. That was the year the fishing was great in April or, or that was the year we it blew out and we didn't catch anything until May or whatever it is, but you're not going to, you think you're going to remember it. You're not going to remember it. Like you're not going to remember it. You see an old picture of like, we all have always have the same dogs, like Bernie's mountain dog. Like you can't even remember which dog it is when you see the 15 year old photo. And thankfully my dad writes on the back, his rule is right on the back of a photo, the name of every person in the photo and the dog's name <laughs> I love it. and I love the year it. Cause like, you think you're like, that was Rose or that was Bella. You just, you know, they all look the same. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even though like they're all different and special. Um, but, and so I, I think in one sense, it's really good to keep it down. I, I also think as a writer or just the habit of, of writing things down is really nice. Like my dad for started writing down like everything we had on Christmas dinner. And that also is just like funny when you look at it, because you, again, you can't remember how much in the Minnesota, how much it snowed or who was there, which of my sister's ex-boyfriends or, you know, who are out of the picture. It's like, you think these things are going to be, uh, have a sense of continuity, but to be, I mean, some things do and some things don't. And I think that it's good to, to write, like it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Just get a small notebook, write down who you were with and what you did. And it, it it's a nice thing to look back on. And then if you really want to build it out because you're getting more ambitious, 
then you can, you know, talk a little bit more, write down something someone said, if you're with an old timer and he says something really like funny and you think you're going to remember it again, you're not going to, when I'm now I'm working on the next book, which is a little bit different than the last one, because I know it's happening while I'm doing it. The previous book, most of it had happened already. In this case of the new book, I'm, I'm going on these trips. I know they'll be part of a book. So I have to like bring a notebook with me, which isn't really very natural to have a pen and write in a boat or whatever it is. But if you think you're going to remember and you never, ever do, I mean, I'm sending texts to myself. I'm doing all sorts of things because these guides are saying the craziest stuff. And you're like, oh, of course I'll remember this joke, but it's like, you're on the water for eight hours. You're fishing and losing fish and drinking beer. Like write it down. <laughs> and that's, I mean, for anything, just write it right on the back of a cocktail napkin. I love it. That's great. Well, uh, anything, Josh, anything before we kind of wrap this up? I have one final thing I want to kind of close well, this we with. We gotta, we gotta make sure and give it, I don't know how much we'll yeah, do you want to finish with that. Okay. I know we want to uh, finish with the announcement. Let me, let me ask this one last thing. You and we'll make an we'll that, so, um, so David, to kind of wrap this whole conversation up, um, you had a, there's something that I've highlighted in your book. It's on it's on page eleven of the, the mm. introduction, <laughs> and um, it says this. And and me and Joshua, we're we're men of faith. Um, we uh, you know, I'm I'm actually a pastor at our church here that I live in. And um, there's something that just really spoke to me in 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 this quote that you said when you talked about fishing, um, because we are we're 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 optimists to a fault, <laughs> probably mm. both of yeah. us. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm also a guy that that's really always about believing that the best is yet to come. But, uh, you said this, you said fishing requires skill and experience, but it also requires an act of faith. By definition, we control only part of the equation. The fish has to complete the loop. That means living with the knowledge that success as it's traditionally defined requires something out of your control. That's why an angler must at some level be an optimist. I love that. I, I, thanks. I, I still agree with that. I mean, it's always funny when someone, when you hear something you wrote and you, you want to make sure you still stand by it, but <laughs> yeah, man, I mean, that's what we're, that's what it's, that's the thing. Like, and, and no matter who we all fish with guys, crazy old, you know, codgers, son of a guns, but like they still believe. And, and if, if they didn't, they wouldn't keep doing it. And I think what I like about fishing and what people who fish is that they, we, you, both of you and myself, we embrace these long odds and that it, it kind of makes us have have that sense of optimism, even though we should know better. And I think those <laughs> things coming together, like, that's what I like. If someone is like, you'll never catch a fish. I'm like, yeah, well, I sort of know that, but like, I'm <laughs> trying anyway. That's why it feels good when it works. And ultimately, like, why I don't like catching a ton of fish. I like it to be, you know, like, I mean, everyone's going to find the right approach. If you take your your little, your little your child out, they, they're not going to want to like get into the poetics of it. They want action, you know, well then like get them on a bluegill or a crappie or whatever. And, uh, and if you're, the more you do it, then you can kind of appreciate the different sense of difficulty. And, and I like that, um, that balance. And we're always struggling with that balance, which is again, I think very human. So I I'm glad you like that, that part of it. I, that's kind of the crux of, of the book, uh, what you read there. And, um, and I think, that's a worth, I think that's a worthwhile, um, something to aspire to that I still aspire to. I think, I think the thing from that quote that spoke to me is, uh, so as I read this book, i have been fly fishing for about eight years and, uh, and, and people had asked me, like, why do you like it so much? Like, what is it that draws you back to it? <laughs> yeah. And I'd always struggled to put it into words. And then I read that and I was like, that's it. Like that, that's part of my why. Like, it's part of that belief of like the, the, the best is yet to come. Like it's, yeah, it, it, sure. it's going to get it. There's part of it that keeps bringing me back. And um, so that's well, why. I, I no, really well, that's, so, that. it's so nice. And I think what you said about people asking you is, is also in the introduction. Cause people are always asking me like, why are you doing it? They're like, are you eating the fish? I'm like, Nope, I'm throwing them back. <laughs> and like, oh, you're like people ask, but I, when I finally take someone out, like a, you know, a busy friend who doesn't really, fish very much and like we get on the water and they're like in their you know borrowed waders and they're kind of uncomfortable it's a hard sport i'm like i just want you to know like i'm really happy to be here with you like today this is going to be a good day like don't worry like that like we'll get the cast down we'll try to get a fish just like this is it like don't don't make it more than this thing that we're together outside in a beautiful place in the smokies and the catskills wherever it is and like if you can get into that like who wouldn't want to be outside like if we weren't even fishing it would be great to be out here and if yeah. we're fishing it's even better yeah it just gives it something else 
I want to let you have a moment because we are going to be releasing this episode right before you have a special announcement yeah. we had talked about earlier. So I want to give you a chance to, uh, to make that announcement. Um, and I also, I know you said there's another book. I don't know how much you can talk about that one. <laughs> I wanted to give you uh, a chance to talk about both of those before we, before we close out the episode. Yeah. Well, um, thank you. The, the, uh, the paperback version of the optimist is coming out on May 10th. So right around now. So just in time for, uh, for the season, um, it's nice. I've never had a book that's been, all my books are like hardcover. It's nice for them to be in paperback. They're a little, it's like a good book to take outside and to get dirty and to like, I sort of had this vision. I just, they sent us, sent me, um, a, I, I can see it, a sample of it. And it's like, I like the idea of it getting, getting out in the world and maybe like you read it somewhere while you're traveling and you leave it in the lodge and it gets passed on and it has this whole other life. And, and I kind of, I kind of like that idea. Um, the next book I'm working on is called the believer, uh, and it's, uh, subtitle cause you need a subtitle, of course, is the last fly fishing pilgrimage. So it's five trips kind of similar, but even a more like kind of difficult to, uh, Norway, Japan, if everything works out, Argentina, Cuba, and Alaska, and kind of these more elaborate trips as I kind of move to the maybe next phase of my life where it's harder to do those things where I'm a little more domestic stuff happening. And, uh, it, you know, the pandemic doesn't make long trips easier, but I've gone on a couple and it's worked out and we'll hopefully it will all, all, all align and we'll be out in May of 2023. So we can, uh, I know we're going to fish together. Uh, we talked we can talk when the book comes out, but I'd rather see you guys before then. I'm, I'm, you're on my, you're on my geographic. I mean, this is the other thing that, as you know, now that you have this podcast, it's like more people who like people talk to you about fishing and I'm like, yeah, oh, it, it gets in my radar. And I like start looking at the like coordinates, like time versus calendar versus geography. And I'm like, I'll be there <laughs> next time I'm near Asheville. Uh, we're going to, we're going to get on the water together for sure. I'm positive. Uh no, would, nothing would thrill us more. No, nothing would thrill <laughs> us more than having a day on the water um, with you. Hopefully, we can find you some fish, and yeah, if, oh. you know we'd have a good time after this time. conversation. I'm not worried about that. Well, you, <laughs> That's you, the least part. I look forward to it. You you answered the last question I was going to ask you of like, what's the next adventure for for David? I didn't know what that next one was. Yeah, was I'm gonna... still. I'm. I'm. I have. I haven't caught a permit and I don't think I'm probably going to, I'm going to be in a place where I have a chance to in Belize for a couple of days, but sometimes it's like, you don't know. I don't know what's worse, like admitting that you want to do it or admitting that it's probably not going to happen. I don't know. It's some, sometimes it's like just good to know that it's out there. It's sort of like, is your team going to win the world series or anything else? It's like answer. No. Uh, but it's nice to like have the, it's nice to get to the playoffs. Let's just say that. <laughs> Mr. Coggins, I, I will go back and listen to this episode a hundred times. It was so much <laughs> fun to just talk and just how, um, just how genuine you are about what you do and, um, you know, a successful uh, person as you are. We, two little dads on the fly here from Western North Carolina, small town USA, cannot thank you enough. And uh, we really appreciate the time. And uh, we can't wait to get a copy of that paperback and <laughs> yeah. be able to pass it on, uh, reread re it and then pass it on to some other people for sure. So, um, and we'll be super pumped for the, the book in 2023. Absolutely. Thank, yeah, we'll thank you guys. The pleasure is mine. I really appreciate it. Thanks we, for your time. We, we really appreciate your time. And uh, last thing, we just want to remind everybody, make sure to check out the Optimus, a case for the fly fishing life. We'll post the link in our show notes. You can find it on Amazon. And uh, if anybody wants to, to follow you, David, what's the best place to do that? What's the best place to find anything else you're reading or, or excuse me, anything else you're writing or, uh, you know, they can follow you on Instagram or, yeah, or where you I mean, at? I live on Instagram, unfortunately, as part of modern life at David R. Coggins, but I also have a newsletter, The Contender, uh, where I write about uh, fly fishing, travel style, all these things. That's more rarefied. If you're into that, subscribe. And, and I'm around, man, writing once a week. Got my own podcast with a friend of mine, kind of similar to this, called The uh, Central Division. So I'm, I'm on the digital world, but I prefer to be out fishing and uh, look forward to uh, being on the water soon. And hopefully with you guys too in North Carolina. That <laughs> sounds great. Well, Mr. Right. Coggins, thank you so much. And we, uh, we hope everyone has enjoyed this as much as these little dads from Western North Carolina have. So uh, thank you. And uh, thank you for everyone for listening.
Well, again, what a phenomenal opportunity to be able to interview Mr. David Coggins, the writer of The Optimist, A Case for the Fly Fishing Life. I can't wait to catch that new book. And want to remind everyone, if you haven't read it yet, you can catch the paperback wherever you buy your books. Uh, it's available on Amazon, and we'll post a link to that in the show notes, as well as the new paperback drops tomorrow. And uh, we're so excited for this and hope you will take the opportunity to read it as well. Well, again, thanks for listening to today's episode. Want to remind everyone, if you are local and near Haywood County, North Carolina, we're going to be meeting again this Saturday on May the 14th at 9 a.m. at Bearwaters Brewing here in Canton to participate in a river cleanup. Joshua and I are going to have our boat out there and help him participate in that. And we would love for you to come out as we try to give back a little bit to our local fisheries. And we would love to see you there. And again, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you found it interesting, please rate, review, share it with someone who you know would find it interesting or entertaining. And until next time, tight line. Listening to this episode of Dads on the Fly. We hope this episode has inspired and encouraged you as a parent or an angler as we wade through the fishing and parenting life on the fly. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Dads on the Fly and shoot us a message as we always love to hear from you. If you are interested in needing Dads on the Fly merchandise, you can find it there as well. Send us a message and we'd be happy to supply you with stickers or t-shirts. If you found this podcast helpful or entertaining, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. Until next time, tight lines. Thank you.